our lives are far far more important than any venture we are a part of than any funding we might raise than any technology we may invent it may seem strange to say no 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 and i think it is true you know the life is the broader universal set everything is a subset of that i think that's very important we always used to know it there was a philosopher many hundreds of years ago who said man is the measure of you know everything in our own indian system we used to have this very colloquial saying our grandparents used to say ki ye jo sari cheeze insano ne banayi hain ye hamare liye bani hain hum insaan inke liye nahi bane hain cars are made for us technology is made for us you know it is made by us for us we are not made for this So welcome to Outliers. Uh, this is a podcast with outliers, and uh, like I keep saying, uh, this is uh, this has been quite a journey uh, for me. Uh, with all of you who are listening to this uh, journey of conversations and journey of uh, hunting down outliers. So, you know, I am very excited to sit down with today's outlier, uh, who is uh, who is an outlier in every respect. <laughs> the best way to describe this person is call him an outlier for many reasons uh i first heard about gorav uh, jaswal when i was early in my career and uh, i was at jaswal digital media uh for those of you who who might not know jaswal digital media was one of the pioneers when it came to tech publishing and tech journalism in india and uh, you know some of the famous brands uh, like chip uh, and then they had their own digit Uh, which which they did later uh i used to hear uh, <laughs> legends of, of gorav and uh, from everyone at jasubai digital media and much later in my career like now you know i heard about gorav from kiran uh, janalgadda who is who is jace as gorav called call him so i have been ha- wanting to have this conversation gorav for years as you can see right i i really mean it uh i I consider you an outlier for many reasons, right? For some of the reasons that you just mentioned before we started recording this, be it uh, what you did or what you didn't, from education to entrepreneurial ventures, uh, the calls and decisions you took—they uh, clearly paint an outlier's <laughs> frame. So, welcome to the podcast, Gaurav. Thank you very much, Pankaj. I think uh, you have left me in a bad situation to start a podcast because I'm a bit tongue-tied. and i'm tempted because while your <coughs> words are very gracious i'm not sure i deserve all of them i can certainly respond by saying that you yourself from what i know about you are an outlier but thank you very much <laughs> okay this is the first time someone called me an outlier on outlier podcast so <laughs> okay nice i'm i'm feeling very good so let me start uh, from the start gorav and ask you this very basic question who who are you and how do you describe yourself So Pankaj I think like each and every one of us uh, we are all greater than the sum of our parts to the answer of how do I describe myself I fortunately don't have to because I meet people in different contexts and I think we all present ourselves in those contexts uh, it also helps that since I am not on social media I don't have a Facebook page I am not even on WhatsApp I am not on LinkedIn I have not had to search for those little two three words that describe and saying navigator sailor artist and so on and so forth so i don't know if that's a good answer but yes in some context perhaps a little more people will know of me as an entrepreneur in the last 5 10 15 years so 
if you want a sort of a corner to start pulling the sheet with, then entrepreneur could be a good way to start. <laughs> uh, one of the things I uh, always wanted to, of course, meet you and ask you is that uh, you saw uh, a very early wave when it comes to technology in India, right? I mean, of course, by being part of Jasubai Digital Media and also being part of publications. Uh, uh, how would you like to describe that time? And... Uh, contrast out what we are seeing play now and uh, I'm just trying to get a grip of how were things back then and what were the battles that someone like you would fight or not fight? So I'll answer this in two parts Pankaj. You are very right that fortuitously no great foresight or vision from my side. I happened to find myself at the beginning of what was the internet wave in India in the sense that we started an internet company in 1998, the public internet had come to India effectively on, if I remember correctly, 15th August 1996. Before that, there was Ernet, which was this university network that you could get it. It was also very, very uh, interesting times that we live in, which if you remember is a Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. <laughs> so I saw the rise of this dot-com boom and I saw the bust also. We also, again, very fortuitously, unlike very, very few companies, had this connection to those very prominent distant shows, which was this Market of America, because one of our eventual investors in our you know, internet company was a company called Ziff Davis. Ziff Davis was then a New York-based company in Rockefeller Center and no other, and was a billion and a half dollars or more in, in revenue. So yes, I do happen to have fortunately a little bit of context of what that time was like. Uh, it was much like the times in some ways that I've seen here in the digital economy in 2013, 14, 15, 16 and continuing, which means there was a lot of irrationality, there was a lot of hubris, there was a lot of aspiration, and I think much more in the world than in India. But I also see significant differences, very, very significant differences, and especially significant differences in India versus of today versus 2008. Not so much perhaps in the US there. What are some of the key differences of the top of my head? One is that the world is much more connected. So yes, theoretically there was, you know, like in 1998, the internet was there, but you couldn't stream by combinator video casts and you didn't have a lot of, you were not sitting at Sam Altman's desk effectively. There was not so much of content being produced, right? So I think one, one great scholar in communication had said that the true value of communication is that it gives us this ability to conceive of situations not yet directly experienced. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the tremendous surge of content that has done. If there are a lot of entrepreneurs here, if you were to fictionally just blindfold them and helicopter them and drop them in Silicon Valley, I think inside of 15, 20 minutes, they would be able to navigate anything. They would probably know the street names, they would know what is Sandhill Road, they would know what you know which companies headquarters they're in front of. So I think media or content in the broader sense is a massive difference. The second difference, I think, is from the digital economy perspective, is that entrepreneurs here have got a tremendous amount of self-belief as compared to 16, 17 years ago, and a tremendous amount of confidence. I think a very strong case can be made that this self-belief and confidence is a phase lag ahead of our actual performance. And there are a lot of data points which say it is, but there is no undermining the fact that there is a lot of confidence and self-belief, which people at that time just didn't have. If you go back, you know, to 2000 and say, which were the internet companies of that era? They were, let's say, you know, an India Games that started then, which was, and I happen to know many of these founders, Vishal Gondal was 1920, if I remember, 
There was Hangama.com, which was by Neeraj Roy. There was Make My Trip, Deep Karla. I don't know Deep, but I know about their company. And in many of those cases, there were people who already were in the US and come here, like Deep Karla. Or there was a company entity, you know, if you look at the funds which were there on the investment banks, I think there was something called eVentures, yeah. if I remember right, Sandeep, you know, Singhal, Rajesh Jog. Yeah. So they were all people who had exposure to America. But the people sitting here, the entrepreneurs sitting here, for them, the US and these companies were, were very distant shores. It's like how familiar Indian entrepreneurs today feel about Japan, which is they don't feel familiar at all. They don't have a sense of connection to Rakuten or whatever or Docomo or any big companies there is how they felt. So I think that's a second difference besides media and content. The second difference is this knowledge, awareness and context. The third, of course, is capital. I think India is, most people don't recognize that, but is still an extremely small share of global venture capital investment. But still, it is a tremendous amount. In fact, it is again argued with great reason that the amount of capital which is there also meritocratically does not have enough opportunities to deploy itself you know, <clears throat> as much as capital is there. So I think that's, that's a, uh, an important difference, which is the third. And fourth is what you can say are support services and infrastructure or infrastructure like co-working spaces, you know, uh, various things like that. That's also there. So off the top of my head, these are four things that I can think are different. You, Gaurav, you're also an outlier because of the recluse. <laughs> you know, the rec uh, you, you're not on any of the social media platforms. Uh, you carry a mobile, I was surprised. <laughs> uh, in this age, and especially for someone who's watched that technology curve so early, how and why are you this? So let me also say, admit upfront that I am not prescriptive about this, right? And in fact, I am prescriptive about very, very few things. I think there are such amazingly different contexts of people and very different heuristics by which people judge their own decisions. So why am I not on? For example, Facebook, for the simple reason that I have never found a reason to be on Facebook. I have never found that my life is deficient in any way because I'm not on Facebook. And while I'm not on it, I'm obviously not ignorant. So people in my family, my father who's 78 years old, I believe is very active on Facebook. So a lot of my cousins tell me, uh, you know, my wife is uh, present there at least. So I've never found a reason. That could be due to the fact of what my own personal networks are. I do believe in a certain amount of you know, authenticity. I do not feel the need to present myself in my contexts. And once again, let me please underline, I'm not making a judgment here about people who are not or people who do. If a lot of people find that Facebook is very good for them, wonderful. So, you know, I don't even have a television for whatever going on close to 30 years now, which does not mean that I think television should be outlawed and, you know, television has no purpose in life. I do think it has some very debilitating, you know, roles in society, but I think it serves a certain purpose for a certain amount of people, right? So I would say that it's not a disparaging sort of look my nose down, you know, kind of a view on that. Television is not a part of my life. Even WhatsApp is not a part of my life because Functionally, whatever I need from WhatsApp, I can do through text and whatever WhatsApp is better at, I have never found a need for, which means I've never found a need for sharing some <coughs> image with 35 people all together in the very, very rare context that I need to, I, I do, can't even remember in the last 10 years that I've had to do that. I would happily do it through some other medium like intrusive, which is less intrusive. 
So I think if I look at it and knowing a little bit about more about the cognitive aspects of how media works, and I, and I don't want this argument to, to become uh, falsely sophisticated, but I think if you look at it in terms of you know the cognitive dynamics of media, what is a signal-noise ratio? So from whatever little I understand, the signal-noise ratio of WhatsApp is very poor. From whatever little I understand, the signal-noise ratio of Facebook is very poor, right? LinkedIn probably is much higher. Why have I not found a functional use for LinkedIn, even though LinkedIn is a platform designed very functionally? Because of the very peculiar nature of my life and work and so on and so forth. I have not had to made a, make a CV or apply for a job for, I don't know, since I was 16, 17 or something that. Right? I may have had to make a small note because somebody invites me for a conference. Is there functional reasons, you know, in terms of discoverability that, you know, it could aid some of the businesses I'm associated with? Yes, it could, Pankaj, that if I was present, and I'm not ruling it out, it's possible that at some point in the future I might decide that there's good reasons for me to be on LinkedIn. It's not worked out so far because whoever wants to connect with me, right, uh, always finds a way. And it's not as if I'm very difficult to connect, right? So no. it's, it's my, my couple of my email IDs. There are at least a few places where they're out there in the public. They're out there on a prototype website. So I think it's very functional that I have not found a reason for these platforms. If others have, wonderful. So... so let me try and understand how you do it and and i'm asking that question uh, more about so how do you so what is your network like uh, how do you seed that network of information or your access to the world or discovering things uh, over the years like if you're talking three decades without tv or not being on any of these platforms you are not even seen on you know most of those networking events and so on so how did you over the years build that network for you which is almost like a private network it sounds like <laughs> or underground network and 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 how do you ensure that your network members you know you you engaged with and so, so how does it work so i tried to address this Pankaj it's a very nuanced question i'll try to address it in two ways the first is that television is not intrinsically a network medium so television is an individualized experience. So I don't lose out because on any community sort of this thing. Having said that, watching television or not watching television does not mean that I am not exposed to television content. Of course I am. So, for example, I am not ignorant about House of Cards. So whether those are those markers of popular culture or things. The question, I think, is that there was intrinsically, because as I mentioned that I was part of probably one of India's first two, three private television ventures when I was 18 years old. I started my own effectively narrow-casted video venture. I think it was in 1992. I could be off by when I was maybe 19 years old. So I've been very familiar, which means we used to use equipment which used to at that point cost about 30 or 40 lakhs and use it to shoot, edit and produce content. So I've been, you were right earlier, that I've been actually very, very early on into you know, television and the internet and mobile phones and so on and so forth for functional reasons. But therefore, perhaps I've also been cognizant of the limitations. So television fundamentally is a broadcast medium, which means that it used to, used to, and this is slightly shifted now, used to tie you into two things. It used to tie you into a certain time. That means if this program is coming on television, let's say, I don't know, Game of Thrones or House of Cards, it will come at nine o'clock. Right? The ability to do what is called time shifting is not more than two, three, four years old, right? which is because you can have Roku or Hulu or whatever or Netflix and so on and so forth, especially in India, given the bandwidth. It's not, we couldn't do it 10 years ago. 
The second thing is that intrinsically within the television broadcast format, there is a signal to noise ratio, which means they will interrupt you every 15 minutes to have advertisements. In fact, there was an empirical study which said that the average 30 minute news broadcast has less, you know, has less content than half a newspaper page. So I think there are these intrinsic dynamics of media, right? And which is why I said it suits some people and it doesn't suit some people. So one is the intrinsic dynamics. Second is the personal dynamics. So two researchers, I remember Richard Solomon and Barbara Felder had made that Solomon Felder index of how we absorb information. So for instance, and I'm sure you'll reach across the table, Pankaj, and choke me to death. I am not a person who is very interested in podcasts at all because I find that I just happen to read much faster. So very often people are tremendous fans of podcasts and audiobooks. I would never ever, you know, read an audiobook in installments because I would probably sit and read it in a much shorter period of time. We have text but that's just me. Too. We have text versions. <laughs> sure, sure. Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm I just saying it. that it's me. I think that podcasts serve a tremendous purpose. I know that audiobooks have made a lot of people who were cognitively not used to this, right? They've made them, you know, very, very, very uh, keen mm -hmm. on information absorption. So I think this is that Solomon Felder index of cognitive means, which is individual. So that's the one sort of long convoluted answer about television. Now, of course, television is not television anymore. It means video content. I very avidly consume video content, right? But I consume it because the way video content is disseminated now has solved my fundamental principle objections with, you know, so-called television content, which is that A, I can do time shifting. I can watch it when I want, when, you know, whenever I want. I can store it. I can take it from device. I can bookmark it. And its signal noise ratio is very good now because if I take a small TED talk, there's no advertising inside it. Right? So that's why I consume a lot more video content now, but I still have no reason to air a television. So that was answer to part one. Part two, what you said about networks is different. And see, networks essentially derive from the mathematical aspect of networks, which I, if I remember correctly was uh, Sarnoff's law, David Sarnoff, a mathematician, which essentially said that the power of network is equal to the square of the number of members in it. Right? Which means, which, which stands to reason exponential. If I have a fax machine, which is network dependencies, it is only as useful to me as the number of other people who have fax machines, right? So that's a network dependent thing. So I think networks can be viewed in that sense in two ways. One that if I am on LinkedIn and when I'm very popular on LinkedIn, then my power will be an exponential function of how big LinkedIn the platform is, right? That's one. I don't think human networks work exactly this way, although Sarnoff's law has been used to make derivatives of, you know, viewing the power of a network. I don't think human networks view this way. I don't think they align themselves. There is a couple of reasons. One is because Sarnoff's law assumes that every member of that network, which is a technological construct, like every fax machine, is equal in its power and value, which is not true, right? So arguably, most of us have the same closed network. You probably know of a researcher called Robin Dunbar, where there's a, there is this concept called Dunbar number, right. which was that each of us no matter whether we are the president of the United States or you and me, we will have a certain number of people, which is I, I think is 150, 170, which is the Dunbar number. We will have only so many meaningful emotional connections in our network. It doesn't change even if you're the president of America. In fact, the current president of America probably has far fewer <laughs> friends. So what this means is that it doesn't matter how many people theoretically you could be exposed to. What is finite is our time our emotional energy, 
and our ability to be able to maintain meaningful and i'm underlining here meaningful contacts with them right meaningful so i think if if we agree and i'm thinking most right thinking people will agree that one your network is not necessarily more powerful than mine because we have 2000 people in a network and i have 50 right i think from whatever little i know at a distance is not my friend but narendra modi seems to be fairly reclusive has only a few friends we probably know who they are and doesn't interact much with the media or the outside world unless in ways and means determined by him but i think it's fairly clear to say whatever we feel about him is that the number of people he knows are certainly more powerful than you and i right or our networks so i think one human beings don't align to this aspect of a network power being exponential to the number of members because different human beings have different power that's one the second thing is that there is a inverse relationship almost inverse relationship sometimes between what is the number of valuable relationships you can make and your number if i'm trying to spread my affection or my <coughs> insights or my time or my energy across a few hundred people i will end up having weak links between me and those people if i concentrate that on a few people who matter to me in my life i think i have strong links the third way that human networks are different is that human networks also reciprocate based on that which means a very important element of human networks is authenticity right which means pankaj that you and i have sort of known of each other for a while we met for the first time today and we are both keen and avid to have this meeting because there was a certain authenticity if i may say if there was a certain absence of self centered interest in my engagement with you your engagement with me right arguably if i were to view human beings from a very narrow construct of who can be useful to me right you are a person who runs an extremely powerful prominent and respected platform right in the media and i happen to among my other avatars also have ventures right so would you think better of me pankaj if i were constantly pinging you and bombarding you with small minutiae of my daily life that i did this you know i posted on instagram me shaking hands with nandan nilakani you know something else i don't think you would so i think the number of interactions or the number of members which in a non human network is very much a function of its power like the number of members and of a whatsapp platform is a function of its power and the number of messages they exchange with each other is a function of the power of whatsapp but it's not true for human networks almost the reverse almost exactly the inverse right that if you have few and meaningful interactions and you have few members with whom you have deep relationship that network is more powerful so that's also one reason why i have never found this and the fourth and last reason is very frankly i started by saying this when you said who are you i think it is it is very disrespectful of ourselves and of each other as human beings to reduce ourselves to sort of functional blocks the moment i start viewing you from this thing that oh what are the five different ways in which pankan can be useful to me uh, can you be useful to me in some practical ways of course you can and maybe you will and maybe at some point i will engage with you and say hey pankaj could you please check this out or help me in this but i don't think relationship can start from that perspective right where they do start from that perspective that's okay right you know which means if we were introduced because you happen to be the prime minister of you know sri lanka and i happen to be the prime minister of bangladesh and we met at the sark summit we understand that there is this functional interaction that come first and then we may or may not become friends later right but that's not the way most human interactions work and that's why i keep it so apologies for this very 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 long response but this is why it doesn't bother me that i'm not on these platforms or whatever network i don't view life or my business that way so uh, long but really insightful brother because i i think 
what what, what you talk about uh, human network is is it becomes so essential to talk about I, I mean i i feel that because even if you look at things like artificial intelligence or everything it seems to be a holy grail for technology to mimic human brain and it seems to be uh, at least it looked like it is a holy grail for social networks to mimic human relationships but somewhere on this journey of trying to mimic <laughs> this it's becoming something else and it's very clear like from what you said what would you like i i know you are not the one who would believe in giving advice or you know be prescriptive but there is an overload right gaurav there is a clutter out there and especially for some of the people who are joining the world now it is tsunami right and and then the only networks they are bond with are not so human right the moment they are bond they are on instagram and then so on uh, what is the antidote for that i mean I, i'm not saying there must be an antidote for that but how do you look at that and and give me a 32000 feet view of this because this also <laughs> involves intersection of technology and social with life and and, and behavioral economics and so on so since you give me the liberty pankaj of giving a 32000 feet view let me start with that i think broadly there are three things perhaps we can do i'm very shy of being very sure about this like some other much more famous person than me i have also realized that the older i get and the more i experience and the more i know the less sure i get of myself i think first we have to understand select second we have to select and third we have to discipline if i may use the word what does understand mean it means that we have to understand technology and media and all these things in very very different and human parameters and therefore i'm very glad that if i may say a non engineer like you is the founder and head of this this very important platform and in fact many of the same things that i said about the power of a platform are true for factor daily also right are you the platform that gets more page views than buzzfeed or whatever no you're not right does that mean your power to influence things is less i don't think so i think perhaps because of that reason because of the quality of people and the degree of respect they have for your authenticity i think your power is much much more you are being very kind huh? no. you want another coffee <laughs> i am being very <laughs> factual i think so i think what we need to understand media is in terms of not being enamored like i said if i understand media in terms of its cognitive dynamics right i think there was daniel berlo who was a communicologist who had this theory of media which broke it down into sem cdr source encoding message channel decoding receiver right so i think if we think how how what is the source how is it encoded right what is the message what is the imposition that a channel itself places on the decoding just as an example right so for example why am i not on twitter it is useful in some ways for example for certain kind of news i have never ever found that my life was impoverished because i got to know that news a few hours later so i do know that twitter broke the story while nobody knew it was breaking of this osama bin laden being killed in abdabad did it damage my life in any way that i got to know about the arab spring and so on later it didn't will it enrich my life are there people on twitter i would like to follow and so on yes but the nature the cognitive dynamics of the means itself 
imposes such an almost insurmountable obstacle to having a civilized conversation which we can learn from, I think it's almost insurmountable, right? It's like, I, I, I think I remember it was perhaps Ambrose Beers who said something, and I'm paraphrasing here, that, you know, don't pig pick a fight with a pig in the gutter because the pig enjoys it, but you're in the gutter, right? There's no way that I have that I found to be able to surmount it. So while there are a tremendous number of very intelligent voices on Twitter, and of course I can access them even without being on Twitter, which I do, I, I can see their tweets and I can search for it and I can link from them. So coming back, I think if you understand a medium, not because you are enamored by it, right? Like when, let's say television first came in or radio first came in, people thought that, oh my God, this is a better theater. It is not a better theater, it's something different. So what it does is that it liberates theater from the drudgery of having to do something which let's say theatre was not very good at and it empowers theatre to do something supremely well which only theatre can do. So for example at some point if you wanted to watch and in fact I, I was trying very hard to be in Bombay yesterday, uh, I was but I had a flight to catch because Swan Lake you know was playing there at NCPA uh, a couple of days ago I think, uh, the ballet and from, from a Russian company and I know that the only way I can enjoy it in its true sense is as it was done 100 years ago. But for example, theatre also used to have minstrels which used to go from town to town repeating the same message. Let's say it was a proclamation of the king, which is not the right way to go about it. The right way to go about and disseminate some message which is easily, cheaply, conveniently heard by people is probably some version of monkey bath, right? Not the content. <laughs> no, I got it. Not the content, but the <laughs> medium itself. Yeah. So I think if we understand this, if we stop being sort of enamored by it, oh my God, what's the new thing? Instagram is a new thing or Snapchat is a new thing or this is the new thing or that's the new thing. I think if we get stop getting enamored of this new, new thing, then we will be able to understand things better. So what I would I have two young sons, what I try to tell them, <laughs> I don't know how much they listen, and what I hope they do is to understand these media and I think that can only come from, if I may say, a liberal arts perspective, right? Like for example, this entire conversation around in some ways the Me Too movement, the backlash against the Me Too movement and the backlash against the backlash of the Me Too movement. I think this has very important portents, right? Like for example, you did, I think, a very, very courageous series of sort of stories on, uh, on, on Mahesh Murthy and that had very sort of prominent, you know, consequences which much, much of the other media. I think much of the conversation subsequently and perhaps this is not the time to get into it, I think has its roots, which is to say that if there is a wrongdoer, if there is a person, how should he be punished? I don't think the answer is technological. I think the answer is like in jurisprudence, right? There are four theories of punishment. There is a retributive theory, there is a deterrent theory, there is a rehabilitative theory, and there's a socially protective theory. So the answer is very simple that what do you want done? Do you want society protected from such a person? Do you want to extract revenge? These are two very different things. And your how you treat it, even the punishment, even though punishment in some case, maybe fully clearly everybody agrees it's, it's true. So I think these are conversations that are coming more from subjects that are a few hundred years old, like jurisprudence, you know, like philosophy, like, like you know, uh, psychology and so on. Not so much, not so much technology. I, I personally think that this should be there. The second thing we have to select, and like I said, I completely concede and grant that everybody has very different circumstances. So we have to select what form of medium, you know, it's entirely possible that television can play a very important role in my mother's life. I suspect it does. She watches television, you know, probably five, seven hours a week, but it's very good for her, very important for her. Now, I think it's very important because while she has a phone, she's not a person who will tap, tap, tap YouTube and see that and put on a small headset. 
she'll find also because of the you know impairment due to age the screen very small and this thing so it works perfectly well for her that there are a couple of programs she watches i don't have that need so it's not for me so i think we need to select and choose we don't need to again feel the pressure of saying that you know everybody is doing it so i have to do it and third in some senses i think that we need to have the sense of discipline about ourselves uh, it is now fairly clear there's a lot of study now in the last 6 7 months about how social networks are designed <laughs> and there is this whole dopamine hit theory to say that they are designed to do it i'm saying that is true which means somewhere as human beings we have this sense of secretive delight yeah. it is a part of our psychology as human beings ki are i know something that somebody else doesn't we do somewhere have this aspect of shadan friday which is to take joy in the fall of the high and mighty right there is this element of curiosity and i think we do have to discipline ourselves because that's the whole purpose of civilization so i will concede you know that man or man and woman or human kind but especially men here i think we can we can very gender focused because of biological factors across 500000 years is tends to be sort of you know aggressive and conquering and so on but i'm saying that's okay that is a biological history but what is the point of civilization right so i think in a short way sorry I, i should correct that not in a short way in a very long way <laughs> this is <laughs> this is what i think perhaps that we should do about media so i, I just want to stay with human networks and and end with it as well gaurav because it's fascinating to hear you talk about human networks um what are the building blocks of uh, a human network or if if for example someone is just born i mean in terms of awareness and consciousness and wants to build their own human network and rely on it for the reasons that you mentioned authenticity and all how would you pick how do you build that network what, what will be that stack like i mean what what should determine uh, you know selection uh, i mean g- give me a sense of uh, is i mean you know as much science as you can put into this so i think pankaj you should start a <clears throat> you know podcast on philosophy because there's clearly a closeted philosopher inside you and like i said god bless your i'm agnostic so when i say god bless it means even more so <laughs> i'm saying god bless your your closeted philosopher inside you so let me attempt to answer sure. it it's a wonderful it's a beautiful and very intelligent and astute question uh, i think the first thing perhaps that we should recognize which i do in all humility is that our lives are far far more important than any venture we are a part of than any funding we might raise than any technology we may invent it may seem strange to say no 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 and i think it is true you know the life is the broader universal set everything is a subset of that i think that's very important we always used to know it there was a philosopher many hundreds of years ago who said man is the measure of you know everything in our own indian system we used to have this very colloquial saying our grandparents used to say ki ye jo sari cheeze insano ne banayi hain ye hamare liye bani hain hum insaan inke liye nahi bane hain cars are made for us technology is made for us you know it is made by us for us we are not made for this right but if we cut and snip and shorten our lives to match the demands of this i think we are being utterly foolish in forgetting a lesson that even inverted comma less educated forefathers of ours knew very clearly a few hundred years ago so i think life is the universal set entrepreneurship dancing this that whatever everything else that we do you know is is a smaller set right life is bigger than amazon <laughs> life is bigger than freaking the internet right so i think life is bigger than all of these things i think in all humility i think that's one thing we should never forget 
The second thing, like I said, is that all these tools and outputs and so on that we create for ourselves in our life in this wonderful progress of technology. And I'm a techno-optimist. I'm not a technophobe at all. I'm a major techno-optimist and I've had the good fortune of engaging with technologies much, much before they were mainstream, like 8, 10, 12 years ago before they were mainstream, right? So I think that we should understand that humans are the measure of everything. So I should ask you is that if you want to build or anyone wants to build a human network, I'm saying see it in the context of life, right? Which means that if I shorten and diminish my human connections to saying, oh, this person can help me get funding for my company X, this person can help me do that. I think I'm doing a great disrespect to my life, to, to you know, my business. I also think, Pankaj, that the greatest things in the world that have happened right from technology, right from technology, to companies, to art, to whatever, has happened, I think, by people who implicitly understand that. If we think that Mark Zuckerberg's motivation is his next round of funding, the idea is so amazingly laughable, you know. He has a personal network, as do most of the great people in the world who build these great companies, which can, you know, continue to, they could continue to spend probably half a billion per generation for seven or eight or ten generations, right? So I think this drive comes from something very human. I don't think it comes from this very, very narrow constructs that we have, series B ka kya hoga, and this, that, and the other. And I think the third thing we should understand is perhaps that we all have a certain amount of emotional capacity. So if I ask you, Pankaj, you know, how many calories do you intake every day? You'll probably, because you seem quite fit, you'll probably give me an answer, 2200, 2400, 2600, something like that, right? And if I were to ask you that if you could make it 5000 calories a day, would you do that? You would say, why the hell would I? Because that will become a problem. If I say, okay, if you could change the composition of those calories, would you? Would you change the composition? Would you derive the same calories from more nutritive food, better quality food? You would say, yeah, I would like to do that. But what I'm trying to say is that we implicitly understand that our human physical body has a capacity to only absorb based on our level of exercise, two, three thousand, four thousand calories a day. Why do we not understand that as the same human beings, our psychic capacity to absorb connections, relationships, people is also limited? So what would I do if I were to suddenly end up becoming amazingly famous, right? And have a million people, right? And there have been small times in my life, Pankaj, in a small way, when I was sort of heading this company that you referred to, which also used to produce a magazine called Chip. Because of that zeitgeist, that moment in time, I used to, at that point of time, get between 30 to 50 emails a day from our readers, when the installed base of computers in a company in, in this entire country of India was less than 2 million, right? I'm saying that was a very high number. So I can safely say that there were 100,000 people because that's how many copies we sent yeah. who clearly knew that this is Gaurav Jaswal and this. And I went from that to heading a small company which across the next two years in this small corner of Goa was like five people. I'm saying it doesn't bother me because even when I had this inverted comma fame, right, and I had the same experience when I said I was part of probably India's first two, three television ventures called Third Eye, I also very quickly, I started as this little kid, I became an anchor person. So within this small city called Chandigarh, which I was, I was recognized by everybody. I would go to a movie theater and people would say, Are you in the third eye? I would go into a shoe shop, right? And my, my, my wife, who I know for 28 years and was my girlfriend, you know, since then, I mean, she's, she's the only girlfriend I had in my life since I was 15. She used to go with me and I used to sort of strut and lace my collar and say, Dekha na. So I'm saying, how did it matter? The number of people in my life who mattered to me was still roughly the same Dunbar number then, is still roughly the same now, right? And I'm sure it's roughly the same for Barack Obama. Yeah. So I think we should be comfortable with that. 
And if we do that, I think we'll build very authentic human networks, right? And of course, they may be useful to us in learning, they may be useful to us in a business, they may be useful, but that will happen in an authentic and meritocratic manner. Um, fascinating, Gaurav. I mean, fascinating because I, I mean, also because I associate with what you say and, and, and I believe in things that you said. But more importantly, I think in, in this age, uh, I, I see human networks at play, even for myself and, and what you are mentioning. So, yeah. Thank you. This, this was really amazing, Gaurav. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very it. much for inviting me, Pankaj. <laughs> and I hope Factor Daily grows from cent to cent. Thank, Thank you, you so much. And Godspeed to you. Thank you. <laughs>